the other reason we're calling it Worship Weekend and a special isn't just because of baptism, but because I want to teach on worship. And I use that word teach intentionally. Uh, I'm not going to preach a sermon to you as much as I want to give you some foundational truths. I want to help you understand worship. And this is going to be fun for all of us. I particularly want to talk about how worshiping with other people changes and transforms you. Now, whether you realize it or not, whether you would realize this about yourself, one thing that is true is that all of us are created to worship. In fact, this is one of those things that uh, atheists have to come up with some sort of explanation. If you want to look at it from a different lens, everybody is born with this innate desire to worship. You want to zoom out even in a completely different context. You study the anthropology of the world. In every culture, in every civilization, there are always worshipers. And even if you're here and you don't consider yourself a worshiper of God, you worship something. It's within us. We have this desire to worship. And what's interesting about this is you definitely cannot consider it a factor of evolution because it is not necessary for survival. So what I'm trying to say is that God has put within us this desire to worship. It's made, designed by him where we want to know something greater than ourselves. And I want to take a look at that today. And to begin, I want to read a verse of scripture found in John chapter 4. I'm going to look at a lot of different scriptures today. I don't normally do this. Normally I stay in one passage and we just kind of uh, dig and pull the things out of that. But I want to give kind of an overarching view of worship. And to start, we're going to look at John chapter 4. I'm going to read one verse, and then we'll get into this. Starting in verse 23, Jesus is talking, and he says, The time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That time is now here. And these are the kinds of worshipers that the Father wants. Now, you got a little uh, competition, I gotta let you know, because first service was rowdy and fun, and everybody knows the second service is my favorite. So I need you to help me out a little bit, and uh, I need you to find somebody who's good looking and tell them this is what God wants. This is what God wants. And I'm gonna look at my wife and just tell her this is what God wants. And uh, I told you to tell somebody earlier that they're good looking, so. Uh, that way I was just setting you up for that. Sometimes I just look my wife in the eyes. I tell her this is what God wants and um, has a different connotation. But right now I'm talking about um, this verse. And what I want you to understand is that this is the kind of worship that God wants. In fact, if you are a note taker and you'd like to take notes and just want to say, um, you know, studies show that 86% of people that make it to heaven take notes. So it might... <laughs> be to your advantage. Uh, I'm calling this message, the worship God wants. This is what God wants, the worship that God wants. Hey, it's always my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. And uh, I would just ask if you're comfortable, would you bow your head with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll uh, get into what he has to say to us today. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that your word changes us and speaks to our life. God, I've just asked that today you would use me to speak to your people, 
you know exactly what they're facing. You know exactly what they need. You know what they're going through. God, I can't help them, but you can. So, Lord, let me be a vessel. I don't want to communicate information, God, but I want your spirit to bring transformation. So do that, Lord. Now, in Jesus' name, we believe you will. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. You know, I've noticed (laughs) that sometimes the things we understand at a conceptual level, we don't really understand at a practical level. You know what I mean by that? I'll give an example. Um, So anybody uh, who is not, I usually ask who the parents are. Anybody who is not a parent, can you just raise your hand? I want to know who I'm talking to. Yeah, like a lot of you. Okay. Um, You might understand conceptually that having a child is difficult. We don't understand practically that is difficult. Like for the longest time, um, I could never understand why uh, Marissa would just like take off and go grocery shopping for like four hours at a time. Until one day she just left me with all the kids (laughs) for like a week. Then I wanted to go grocery shopping. And uh, sometimes you just don't understand things uh, practically, you don't understand them conceptually. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, is every concept needs a context. Every concept needs a context. Without context, it's hard to have compassion. That's why I make Marissa get up and preach sometimes, because she is so much nicer to me after she gets the microphone in her hands. She has to know what it's like. Without context, it's hard to have compassion. And I want to give you the context of this passage because The context is Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. And you got to understand, like, that in and of itself would have been shocking. Because in Jesus' day, Jesus is a rabbi. It was not customary for a rabbi to have a one-on-one conversation with a woman. And so that was shocking in and of itself. But this is no ordinary woman. This woman is a Samaritan. Now, that might not mean that much to you because you're concept of a Samaritan is probably a good person, a good Samaritan, because your context for a Samaritan is the good Samaritan. But that wouldn't have been the case in this day. In this day, you got to understand the Jews hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans hated the Jews. That's the context of the conversation. Now, the content is interesting to me as well, because the content is She's having this discussion where she asks Jesus about worship. It starts with water, but it ends in worship. Which, by the way, we're starting with worship. We're going to end with water today if you want to be baptized. And I was drawn to it because she understands worship conceptually, but not practically. And Jesus always has this way of taking the conceptual to make it practical. He helps her understand that, look, it's not about uh, just all these different concepts that she has, is he's dealing with an issue within her. See, the real need that you and I always have is within. But I was drawn to the story because this woman understands worship conceptually, but not practically. And I wondered how often you and I do the same thing. Understand worship conceptually, but not practically. Like sometimes, you know, we'll say, man, I was running late to church. I missed the worship but I got there in time for the preaching. Well, we all understand what you're saying, but the truth is, in the Bible, in the New Testament, 
Old Testament, there's not really a difference between the two. In fact, one time when Paul wanted to define worship, he put it this way. He said, in view of God's mercies, that's the context, present yourselves living sacrifice. The sacrifice, he's talking about the Old Testament where they would put a sacrifice on the altar and in order for it to be acceptable, it had to be dead. And he's saying, this is how you should worship God. You should die to yourself. You should die to your preferences and you should come alive to God's purpose and God's plan and what God wants. And I just wondered in this passage if maybe there's something we could connect with, if maybe we've watered down the meaning of worship where worship has become a genre of music, where we've got our hip-hop playlist and, you know, our 80s rock playlist and our ultimate 90s mix playlist, and then we've got our worship playlist, and we've watered down worship to a genre. But worship is not music. Music is a tool of worship, but worship is not Music. When you really understand worship, you understand that worship is a response. Worship is a response. And I told you I was going to teach today. This is, if you're regular to velocity, it's going to be a little different flow than what you're used to. Um, if you're new, you have to come back again. But uh, I want to teach today, whenever you're teaching something, one of the best places you can start is with the definition of the terms. Make sure everybody's on the same page with what you're talking about. Worship, when you look it up, uh, you can look it up in the Hebrew or the Greek. What you discover is that the word worship means to bow down. It's an action. Both of them, Hebrew or Greek, it means the same thing. It's an action. It's a posture. It's a response done in view of someone or something's supremacy out of reverence, respect. And that's helpful, but maybe not as helpful as it could be. So I want to give you a definition to help us understand what we're talking about today. When I'm talking about worship, I want you to understand that worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God. Let me just stop there. Worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God for who he is, what he's done, what he said, and what he promised to do. Worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God for who he is, that's our adoration, for what he's done, that's thanksgiving, and for what he said and promised to do in his word. I'm trying to help you understand this because anytime you express your love to God, you're worshiping. So worship isn't music. Worship is an expression of your love and gratitude. And you might hear this, you might even be here today, maybe you're new to church and you're thinking, great, but why does that even matter? Why do I need to know this? I mean, is it even important? And I would tell you, you need to know this, not only does it matter, not only is it important, I would tell you, it is the most important thing. Now, I recognize that that, Sounds hyperbolic. Sounds like, okay, pastor, maybe you're exaggerating just a little bit. You say a lot of things are important. You're laughing like that's true. I have to 
listen back to some of these sermons. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus because there was this one time that Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, of everything that's in Scripture and everything that we're commanded to do and everything that Scripture instructs us in, what is the most important thing? How many would like to know that answer? And this is what Jesus said in Mark 12. Jesus answered, the most important command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. In other words, when Jesus would ask, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing of everything that Scripture says, everything that's written in Scripture, everything that we're commanded and instructed to do, what's the most important thing? Jesus said, the most important thing is to love God and then express it with every part of your being. Express it with every part, not just your heart, not just your soul, not just mentally, not just with your energy, not just with your actions. You, you gotta love God and then you gotta express it with every part of your being. And there's many reasons why this is so important. And truthfully, I mean, Simply because Jesus said it, that would be a good reason to do it, right? Like Jesus said it, we should do it. But I want to help you understand some reasons why this matters. I want to give you the context so we can understand the concept of worship. And there's lots of reasons we could look at, but I'm going to give you four today. And we're going to go through them kind of quick, and then I'll give you some practical application. But why is it that we should express our love to God? Why do we worship? Why is it so important? I want to give you the first one because... We worship because we were made to be loved by God. We were made to be loved by God. And because we were made to be loved by God, we inevitably love him back. 1 John 4, 19 says this, that we love because God first loved us. Not just we love God, we love, period, because God first loved us. The reason that you have the capacity for love, the reason you even know what love is, the reason that you can experience love, give love, and receive love is because God first loved you. God is love. And in his love, he created the universe to know love, and he created you as an object of his love. And here's what you gotta get. Very simple understanding. If you don't feel like worshiping, if you're here and like, ah, I don't know, you know, I don't really know if worship's my thing. You know? If you don't feel like worshiping, it is simply because you do not know how much God loves you. You don't understand. You don't realize how much God loves you. If you really understood how much God loves you, you could not hold back from worshiping him. It's a response, not a responsibility. It's a response. The, when you realize how much God loves you, you can't help but love him back. He made us objects of his love. This verse is not on the screen, but I, I found it when I was studying, and I want to share it with you. Just write it down, look it up, it'll be good for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 it says this, that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. 
Think about what this verse means. Before God created the universe, he already had you in mind. And he made the universe so that he could love you, so that you could exist, so that he could adopt you into his family. That's how much he loves you. You began in his mind before he even created the world. So why do we worship God? We worship him because he loves us and worship is our response when we understand how much he loves us. And I would just encourage you today, if you've ever, if you've ever felt like, I don't know, I, I really don't know if I feel like worshiping or maybe I really don't understand worship. I just would encourage you to get in your mind how much God absolutely loves you. He knows all of your mistakes. He knows everything that you will mess up in the future. And he loves you anyway, and he chose you. Ephesians goes on to say that he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He decided in advance. He already made up his mind about you. Already. Despite that incredible screw-up, despite the pain of your past that you wish you could undo, despite the stuff that you never want to mention again, he already made up his mind about you. And your response is to worship him. Not a responsibility, just it's natural. That's the first one. We worship because we were made to be loved by God, but then the second one, is we worship because everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. Think about this. Everything we have comes from God. Your life comes from God. The the breath in your lungs, the air that we breathe, the blood that is in your veins comes from God. The purpose he's given you, the love that you're able to experience, the relationships, the son, the daughter, the the parent, the husband, wife, comes from God. And we get a good picture of this. There's lots of scriptures that would articulate this, but I wanna look in 1 Chronicles 29 because I thought we'd be able to relate to this well as a church. In 1 Chronicles 29, we read about David's preparation to build the temple. And of course, we're building out a new facility and there's a lot of parallels here because You know, we're building out a new facility because we want to reach more people. We're going to be more effective that way. God has blessed our church, and we're excited to make a difference and impact in our city. We're building new facilities because we recognize that a building is not the church, but we want a place where we can worship, right? We want a place where God can be glorified. We believe it's a miracle and a testament to God's goodness, and we want God to be glorified in our city. So that's David's thought. David wanted a place, he wanted to build God a temple so that God could be glorified. He wanted a place where they could worship and as God is glorified, the name of God is made great throughout the region. So what he does is he he asks the people to give an offering, just like we've asked you to give and many of you have given and many of you are continuing to give. And I wanna just talk for a minute to those watching online because you might've heard about this and think, well, why you know, should I give? Because I'm watching online, part of the online fam and not doing the building thing. Well, it's not, just part of a building, like we're gonna be able to increase and advance and, and uh, improve even our online ministry and reach more people. And, and you know, again, it's not a building. We have the visioneering team that we got a building 
right now as we speak, we're working on to uh, put a building up in the Dominican Republic. How cool is that? Well, while we're doing our thing, we're doing something in another part of the world and doing stuff to love and, and serve our city through Serve 75 and, and other ways, all these different ways. And so um, even those of you who are watching online, you can be part of the visioneering team and give, and I think you should. So David, he, he says, I want you to prepare, I want you to give. And this is, this is amazing because uh, as they gave, they collected the largest offering in the history of the world. One offering, $300 million, like in our day, $300 million. Our total project is only $5 million. And they like gave $300 million uh, for this. But I want you to notice what he says. So this incredible offering, and watch what David says. Verse 14, these things did not really come from me and my people. Who am I? <laughs> and who are my people that we should give this much? That we should have this much to give? Everything comes from you. We have only given you back what you gave us. In other words, hey, this is amazing. Yeah, it's the biggest offering ever. Really, we're, we're only giving you back what you've given us. It's not that great. Wouldn't even have anything if it wasn't for you. Can I tell you, the reason we worship is because we recognize that we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God. Wouldn't have anything. Everything comes from him. So we give because he loves us. We give because we recognize everything comes from him. Or we worship because he loves us. We worship because we recognize everything comes from him. Third one is we worship because we understand life through worship. We understand life through worship. See, every time you focus on God, it realigns your perspective. Sometimes I do different videos, like I'll film something, you know, I'll film a sermon or film a special video to send out or something like that. And whenever I'm filming something and video team is, you know, behind the camera, they do something called pull focus. What it means when they pull focus is, is they, they zoom in. Usually it's like right on my eyeball or something awkward like that. They zoom in and they stay in this position for a minute. They magnify me. And then they, they begin to adjust their perspective until everything becomes clear. Now, the benefit of doing that isn't so that up-close image is clear. The reason they do that is because it makes the entire image clear. It brings clarity to the big picture. You know when we worship God, it's the same way. When we magnify God, that's what worship is. When we focus on him, we begin to adjust our perspective, put our eyes on him, br bring him into focus. What that does is it, it makes the big picture clear. We get a right perspective. It broadens our understanding. For example, have you ever walked into a church service? Maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe you've got some problems you're dealing with. Maybe you've got some stuff that's burdening you. Maybe you've got some things that you don't understand. Maybe it's been difficult. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're depressed. You've got all this stuff going on and you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to handle it. You don't know what you're gonna do, but you come into a church service and something happened. Maybe something the pastor says, maybe 
It's not something the pastor says. Maybe something the Holy Spirit says. Maybe it's not even something said. Maybe it is the peace of God that comes to rest on your heart. And in this moment, everything becomes clear. All the, you're focusing on God and all of a sudden you, you know what the problem is. You're focusing on God and all of a sudden you know what the solution is. That's what happens when we worship God. I like how David put it in the Psalms. In Psalm 73, David was going through a difficult time. He had some enemies. He had people who wanted to hurt him, people who were slandering him, trying to lead a nation, had all sorts of problems going on, didn't know what to do. And in Psalm 73, he says, when I tried to understand this, it was too difficult for me. Only when I came into God's holy place did I finally understand. Only when I came into God's house, only when I came to God's presence, only when I came to worship did I finally understand. You get God's wisdom when you worship. You get it from his word, you get it from his presence. And let me be clear, you don't get this kind of perspective from Netflix. You don't get this kind of perspective by self-medicating or even self-care. You only get this kind of perspective when you come in contact with God through worship. I, I wanna stress this to you again. Look at what he said. Only when I came into God's holy place. The holy place, it's the place of worship, it's the sanctuary, it's the temple. Only when he came into God's house to worship did he understand. That means that he tried other things. I'm not down on trying other things. That means I, need, I don't understand what's going on. You know, I talked to these people, I didn't get the wisdom I needed. I, I tried, you know, you know, going for a run. Everybody knows that was a bad idea. You know, I, I tried, I, I, I tried, you know, being in nature and all that. That didn't help. Only when I came into God's house. That's when I understood. Now, sometimes people will say, well, yeah, I mean, I like worship and I like to worship God in nature and I can worship God in nature. Well, of course you can worship God in nature. Who do you think made nature? So you can worship God in nature, but you know what you can't do? You can't fellowship with others by yourself. You can't involve others in your act of worship. And so I'm just trying to help you understand, personal worship is a good thing, but corporate worship is a good thing. Group worship is a good thing. And if you only have personal worship, you are missing out on a larger perspective of what God wants to give you that comes when you go to God's house. Only when I came to God's house did I understand. Here's a fourth reason. Fourth reason we worship together. It's because God strengthens us through worship. We not only get a better understanding, a better perspective, we're strengthened. God gives us, he shows us what to do, but then he gives us the power and the energy to do it through worship. Because worship is designed to strengthen you. Psalm 18 says this, you, the Lord God, keep my lamp burning. Lamps would use oil. He's saying, God, you are like fuel. You keep me going. You keep 
me burning. You keep me bright. You keep me hot. You, you keep me on fire. You, you, you keep me going. You turn the darkness to light. You help me defeat armies and capture cities. In other words, he defeats the enemies of your life. I'm not talking about people. He defeats the things that come against you, the, the things that would try to distract you or destroy you or tear you down through worship. He helps you defeat the enemies of your life. Your way is perfect, Lord. Your word is correct. You are a shield for those who run to you for help. He gives you protection. You give me strength and guide me right. That's what happens in worship. I get spiritual strength, but I also get instruction. I get the right way to go and then I get the energy to do it. That's the context of why we worship. Now that we understand the context, we can answer the question because the question that the woman asked was, what's the right way to worship? What's the worship that God wants? Is it this or is it that? What, what is the right way to worship? Because I wanna tell you, there is a right way and a wrong way. And Jesus said, he said, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he wants authenticity and accuracy. Spirit, authentic, truth, accuracy. It wants to be doctrinal, it wants to be devotional, it wants to be personal, it wants to be passionate. Those things are good. But you know what really caught my attention? She said, what's the right way to worship? And he said, true worshipers will worship the Father, Spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father wants. He's talking to a woman, singular. She says, what kind of worship does God want? And he answers, God wants worshipers, plural. Let me put it this way. God doesn't need your worship. He wants our worship. God wants us to worship together. He wants our worship together. There's something that happens when you get in a room. And I could go and list through all the different things that happen. It would take a long time. But what I'm trying to help you understand is that there's something powerful about coming together and worshiping God. In fact, I want to tell you something. This might seem a little shocking in the room because like in the world we live in today, I mean, just like in a normal week, we have hundreds of people that connect with us online, engage with our ministry all over the world. And we love online. We believe in online. Part of the reason we do online is because I know there's many of you who are watching right now. There's not a life-giving church where you're at. So you're able to engage in this, and that's awesome. Some of you, maybe you're watching from a hospital room. You're not able to get out. That's why we do this. Some of you are not able to leave the home. I mean, I understand. That's awesome. It's part of why we do this. But I want to say something that's challenging. I'll say it respectfully. Watching worship is not worship. Watching worship is not worship. I'll go one step further. If you live here locally and you can get here, you need to get here in person. We love online. We do it because people are on vacation. You can engage, but... Watching worship is not worship. There's something that you miss in the context of worshiping publicly, corporately, together, 
on the confession, the declaration, on the prayer, on the giving. Worship. Now, if, if you're in a situation where you can't get out of the home, here's what I would tell you. Invite other people to be part of it with you. There's 58 verses in scripture that talk about one another. You can't be part of the one another's by yourself. There's 20 verses in the New Testament that talk about the purpose of God for your life that only happen in the context of the local church. Can't experience those if you're not corporately part of the local church. I just want God's best for you. Some of you may need to take the step and actually be part of what we call the worship team. Lead people, if you can sing, if you can play an instrument, God has gifted you in that way. That might be something that God would be leading you to do. I wanted to say something to the people online. How long has it been since you've been to God's house? Only when I came to God's house did I understand that. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Remember, worship is expressing your love and gratitude to God. Maybe one of the ways you could worship is even just by coming. Because worship isn't just personal, it's part of it, but it's also public. 